Thanks very much indeed, uh, Brian, for your welcome today. Good to be at St. Field with you again this morning. And uh, as Brian said, the last time I was here was in the dead of winter. And uh, it's back to getting the coat off now. It's great to be into the into the season where you can get the coat off in the pulpit. And it gives you a wee bit more freedom. So good to be here and we pray that the Lord will bless us today as we come to his word. And uh, I want to turn with you this morning to the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians and uh, chapter 1. And we're going to read from the middle of the chapter, verse 15 down to the end. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. And it reads, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all and all. We know that God will add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Now Paul begins this letter to the Ephesians. We didn't read the first part of the chapter Uh, because it's a long chapter, but he begins his letter to the Ephesians with greetings, as he does with all the letters that Paul wrote. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be unto you, and peace from God uh, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he brings greetings, it's followed by praise because as you read on down that first part of the chapter from verse 3 to 12, my he praises God for all the spiritual blessings that are theirs in Christ Jesus. He talks here about being chosen in him before the foundation of the world. He talks about the blessing of predestination. He talks about the blessing of redemption, he says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And he goes on with these these blessings in that part of the chapter from 3 down to 12. When we come to verse uh, 
where at verse 13, he, he turns then and he reminds them of the gospel, he says, in whom ye also trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And then we come to the part of the chapter that we read this morning, because in these remaining verses of the chapter, Paul brings before them the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. And that's basically the chapter outlined. This is one of the great first chapters in the Bible. It's a very interesting study just to begin at Genesis and to go through your Bible and pick out all the what we would call great first chapters. For example, Genesis chapter 1 is a great chapter. It's the chapter of creation. When God in the beginning made all things by the word of his power. John chapter 1, that's another great first chapter. And there we read about the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. All things were made by him. And of course, When we go down the chapter to verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, that's another great chapter. And of course here in Ephesians, Ephesians, this is a great chapter. But here from uh, verse 15, Paul begins to to write to these believers and to minister to them. And I've written across verse 15 the praise and prayerfulness of the servant. The praise and prayerfulness of the servant. He says, wherefore? And he's continuing on from what he has taught them in the first part of the chapter. And he says, wherefore? Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. The praise and the prayerfulness of the servant. He's praising uh, the Lord because of what the Lord has done for them and what the Lord has given them in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul praised God for the saints, but he also prayed for the same, same saints, making mention of you in uh, our prayers. And then we go on and we see the, the perfection or the per- perception and the possession of the saints. In verse 18 and 19, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope uh, of his calling that the riches of his glory and the inheritance of the saints. So we have the praise and prayerfulness of the servant, and then the perception and the possession of the saints. Paul uh, prays that these people would understand the very things he has been talking to them about in the first part of the chapter. And then from verse 19 to 20, we see... We see there the power and performance of the sovereign. My, what great verses these are. He says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, word, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. You know, friends, God's power is almighty power. It's almighty power. And we see God's power manifested in many places through the word of God right from Genesis to Revelation. Yes, my, uh, we, 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 we see his power in, in many ways, but we see his power when, when God raised his son from the dead. My, it was this same power, the same power that created all things, the, the same power that uh, bestowed upon us uh, these spiritual blessings in Christ. And this power is many manifested in many ways, and it was this power that raised Christ from the dead. Remember when the apostles preached the gospel in the Acts of the Apostles, and when the word came uh, on that resurrection morning, it says in so many places, God raised him from the dead. Christ was put on the cross. Now he suffered. He, he made a sacrifice for sin. He shed his blood to pay redemption for each one of us here this morning. And, and then it says that God raised him from the dead. That was almighty power. And we're not only, he not only raised him from the dead, but the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that keeps you and me in our journey uh, to heaven. And then we see here this morning not only the praise and the prayerfulness of the servant and the perception and the possession of the saints and the power and the performance of the sovereign. See the position and the preeminence of the Savior. God has raised them from the dead. And now Paul underlines for them and teaches them the position and the preeminence of the Savior. It says, He has raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand. Verse 21, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and hath given to him, and, hath, and, and gave to him to be head over all things to the church. You see, friends, this is Christ's position today. God has set him in his own right hand, a prince and a savior far above all the principalities and powers of the angelic, Hosts of heaven. We see here his preeminence, his preeminence. And he has put all things under his feet. We see his preeminence. And then he says, He is the head of the church. Paul speaks of the church here. And remember, he's speaking not about a local church or a national church, he's speaking about the mystical church of Jesus. Christ. My these believers at Ephesus was part of the church of Jesus Christ, just as we believers here in Sinfield this morning were part of that mystical church, that, that body which is the church of Jesus Christ. When the Lord Jesus arose from the dead and ascended 
heaven. God the Father said, sit on my right hand, that I may make thine enemies thy footstool. And the Lord rose from the dead to hold certain offices as the head of the church. When the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, he rose from the dead to be the head of the church. He rose from the dead not only to be the head of the church, but he rose from the dead to be the shepherd of the sheep. And he rose from the dead to be the high priest of every believer. And he rose from the dead to be the advocate with the Father. And he rose from the dead to be the bridegroom of the bride. And these are his offices that he holds and fulfills in heaven. When he rose from the dead, these were the offices that was given to him. And they constitute our Lord's heavenly ministry for his people today. And I want to talk to you this morning in the time that's left for me. I've given this message a subject this morning, and I want to talk about what the Lord is doing for his people today. I spoke to a young woman oh, quite a number of years ago, and she'd lost her father suddenly, and it was taking her away to get back on her feet again. It was a long period of grief. And I remember her saying to me, you know, Pastor, I often wonder what my daddy's doing today. I know he's in heaven, but I wonder what he's doing today. And you know, friends, the Lord Jesus went back to heaven and he carries out these ministries. We see here what the Lord is doing for his people, what he's doing for you and I today. And when we look at them, we'll see the sufficiency of Christ. I want to say, first of all, that the Lord is preeminent among his people. As the head of the church, he's preeminent among his people. You know, in the human body, the head rules over the members. My human body, your human body by our members, are directed from the head. It's messages from my brain that tells me to open the Bible and what place to turn to. It's messages that's being directed to my legs and feet that tells me how to walk up these steps here and sit on the seat behind Brian until my time has come. And you see, friends, when somebody gets a stroke or has a problem, my, those messages slow down or maybe we even lose them altogether because the head is sovereign. My head is sovereign over the members of my actual body. And you see, just as the same in the church of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. 
And we should be in subjection to his mind and to his will. Yes, no human is the head of the church. No human being is the head of the church. I know people may claim to be that. But in the church of Jesus Christ that I'm talking about, no human is the head of the church. No man, no man made committee or body is the head of the church. None. My dear friends, Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church. And we who are the members of his body should be in subjection to our living head. To our living head. Do you let him direct you? Are you under his control? Have you given the Lord the preeminent place in your life? If we all recognized Christ as our living head and were in submission to his will and to his word, then there would be no schism in the church. So that's the first thing. That's what the Lord is doing for his people today. As the head of the church, the Lord is preeminent among his people today. He is our living head. And then, going on from that, he rose again from the dead, not only to be the head of the church, but to be the shepherd of the sheep. That great Verse in Hebrews says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd from the sheep. And as the shepherd from the, of the sheep, the Lord is providing for his people today. You know, friends, what are the things that we need? Well, we know that Psalm 23 tells us how the Lord is providing for us. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it says. I shall not want. And what are the things I need for the journey of life as a Christian, as a believer, what are the things that we need for the journey of life? First of all, I need grace to help in every time of need. I need grace to help me suffer. Grace to help me suffer. I need grace to help me to stand for Christ. To stand for the Lord in these dark days in which we live. In which people have no time or place for God. And no time or place for his word. And yet, you know, God expects us to be his standard bears down here. He expects us to, to stand, to shine our light for him. I need grace to help me to suffer. I need grace to help me uh, to stand. I need grace to help me to shine for the Lord. Jesus says, let your light so shine among men my, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People may say, how do I shine for the Lord? Well, there's the answer to it, that they might see your good works. We're not saved by works, but we, 
but we testify by the works that we do and the life that we live that we belong to Jesus Christ. I need grace to help me to serve the Lord. I need grace in the journey of life. I need peace for my mind in this troubled age. People today, maybe there's folks in the congregation this morning and and you're full of worry at the moment about something in your life. People live in anxiety. Many people uh, are, are full of depression. They're depressed. And many things fill their mind and they need the peace of God. You remember when Paul wrote to the the Philippines, he says, listen, be anxious for nothing. Don't be letting these worries and anxiety fill your mind, uh, but, but, but let the peace of God that passeth all understanding when you come to me. My dear friends, I need grace to help. I need, I need peace for my mind. I need victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have to contend with the world and the flesh and the devil while we're here. And they're all against us. My dear friends, my, there's the attraction of the world and there's the affections of the flesh and there's a, the advances of the devil. And I need, I need victory uh, in, in, in that battle. Yes, I need grace To help me, I need peace. To give me peace, I need victory. I need guidance for the journey. The shepherd guides us through the wilderness. He leads and guides us each day. And I need wisdom each day. And all these things that I've underlined for you this morning, grace and peace and victory and guidance and wisdom, Every one of them is found in Christ. Every one of them is found in him. He is the provider of them. But you might say to me, how do you get them? How do you get them? If you need fuel for the car, (coughs) you go to the filling station. If you need food for the cupboard, you go to the grocer shop or the supermarket. My, when we have material needs and physical needs, we know where to go. When we need these things for the journey of life that I've mentioned here this morning, we need to go to the Lord. Isn't that what Paul said when he wrote to the Hebrews? My, Paul says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. But we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And what Paul is saying there is just this. My, uh, you, you need to go to the Lord so that you can draw from the Lord. Just like the, the woman with the, the barrel of meal and the cruise of oil in the days of Elijah. And, and my Elijah said, you make for me a little cake first and then for you and for your son and my every, every morning she went to the, the barrel of meal. There was always the, the, a handful of meal there. 
And when she went to the cruise of oil, there was always the, the oil there, but she had to go to the barrel to draw from the barrel. And she had to go to the cruise of oil to draw from the cruise of oil. And it's just the same with you and I. My, we find grace to help at the throne of grace. But we need to go to the throne so that we can draw from the throne. My dear friends, we get down on our knees and we tell the Lord what our need is. And we tell the Lord what our problems are and what our worries are. And we can draw from him to give us the strength to meet the journey of life. This is what the Lord is doing for his people today. As the head of the church, my the Lord is preeminent among his people. And as the shepherd of the sheep, the Lord is providing for his people. And also as the shepherd, he's protecting his, 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 his people. My, the Lord's work not only provides, but it also protects. David protected the flock from the lion and the bear. And we need to be protected. Protected spiritually, because if you uh, go through the New Testament and take the epistles of Paul, Paul emphasizes right nearly through every epistle that we're in a battle. That this is a Christian warfare. That's what the Christian life is. It's a warfare. It's in a battle against the greatest enemy of all, which is Satan and all the principalities and powers and hosts of darkness. They're against the church of God and they're against the saint of God. And Paul says, listen, in Ephesians, he says, put on the whole armor of God. You need to put on the whole armor of God. And and in, in 2 Corinthians, he says to them, you know, the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. God has given us an armor, and God has given us weapons, dear friends, and, and we need to be protected spiritually. And in the days in which we live, we need to be protected fundamentally. We need to be protected fundamentally. We need to stand four square for the fundamentals of our faith, which are being chipped away bit by bit in these days in which we live. You need to be standing for the truth. We need to be protected from the false nonsense that's taught in so many places about so many things. We need to be protected spiritually and fundamentally. My dear friends, we're protected by the sovereign prayer power and purpose of God and nothing can happen except God allows us. So we see the Lord is preeminent among his people and we see he's providing and protecting his people. And then we find as our great high priest the Lord is praying for his people. He's praying for his people. Yes, the high priest in Israel went into the tabernacle or the temple once a year on the great day of atonement. 
And this is what our great high priest does, not just once a year, but every day. What a difference. The high priest, once a year, great day of atonement, our great high priest, every day, every day. Yes, in Hebrews chapter 9, 24, the writer says, Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands. He was talking about the tabernacle and the temple. He's not entered into the holy place made with hands, but into the, 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 which are the figures of the truth, but into heaven itself. There to appear in the presence of God. Listen to it for us. For us. Hebrews, Hebrews 7.25, we, we read about, about the Lord by seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He saves us to the uttermost, it says. The Lord is able to save us from, to the uttermost ever, and he ever liveth to make intercession for us. That's intercession. He's praying for us. And the Lord is upholding his people by his prayers. Remember he prayed for Peter when he was attacked by the onslaught of the devil. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. He prayed for Peter. My dear friends, he prayed for him in his weakness, and I believe that it's only the Savior's prayers that keep some of us on the road. Just remember this morning. Remember you're here this morning and you're downhearted. Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering about the future. Remember this. The Lord's praying for you. It's great when somebody stops you, you meet them in the street and they say, you know, I'm praying for you, I'm still praying for you. I want to tell you this, it's greater when the Lord prays for you. Yes, this is what the Lord is doing for his people. He's preeminent among his people as the head of the church. He's providing for his people and he's, he's uh, protecting his people as the shepherd of the sheep. And he's praying for his people as our great high priest. And, 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 and you know, friends, he's pleading for his people. He's pleading for his people. Because when he rose again from the dead, he rose again not only to be the head of the church and the great high priest of every believer, but he rose to be the advocate with the Father. That's a lovely little, little piece there. If you, if you can turn in your Bible over to the first epistle of John, the first epistle of John there, and, and, and we find in this, in this epistle that down the first chapter, it says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then it goes into chapter 2, and he says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And then immediately after that, he says, And of any man sin. So John says that ye sin, I'm writing unto you that ye sin not, 
For he knows right well that, you know, we have good intentions and all the rest of it. And if any man sin, there's a provision made if we do sin. That's what it is. He says, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. You know, friends, our advocate is pleading on our behalf. Sin, sin ruins fellowship and breaks fellowship with the Father. And this is where our advocate comes in. He says, if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate comes from the word paraclete, which is the same idea as a lawyer. And you know, a a lawyer represents their client. And the one who represents you and I when we do wrong, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, friends, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. That's one of his names. And when I sin, the devil accuses me. And he says to God, listen, he sinned. Look at him. Preaching to other people and he sinned. He did wrong. And it's then that the advocate comes in between me and the father and he says, look, This is your child. And he sinned. But remember this, that I died for his sins. I shed my blood for his sins on the cross at Calvary. And because of of, of that advocate's work on the basis of his death at Calvary for our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God just can't forgive sins with a blink of an eyelid. But because of Christ's death on our behalf and the efficaciousness of his blood, God is faithful on the basis of Calvary to forgive us for all our sins. What a wonderful office the advocate is. And that brings me to my last point this morning. We've looked at the Lord, my, uh, the, the things that he's doing for his people. My, he's preeminent among his people. He's providing for his people. He's protecting his people. He's pleading for his people. And finally, this morning, friends, as the bridegroom, he's preparing for his people. He's gone to prepare a place for us. John says, John says, you know, in my, or the Lord Jesus says in John's gospel, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where ye are, that where I am, there ye shall be also. You know, a young couple falls in love. Of course, you don't necessarily need to be young to fall in love. Older people have fallen in love too. But people fall in love. Young fella and young girl falls in love. And they plan to be married. 
And the bridegroom prepares a home for his bride. And then one day they meet in a place like this here. And my, he takes his bride to himself. And he takes her home to that place that he has prepared for her. And you know, friends, the Lord Jesus has gone to prepare a home for his bride. Not you and me, the church. He's gone to prepare a place for his bride. And one day soon, he's coming back. And he's coming back to take us home. To be with him forever and ever. My, what a home it is. I haven't time to go into it this morning. Read Revelation chapter 21 when you go home. Our earthly home may be a happy place, and I hope it is. Yet there's times, even on our homes which are happy and full of love, there's times, dear friends, when there's tears shed. There's times when sickness comes in a serious manner. There's times when sorrow comes, when a loved one is taken from us. Yes. And that's how life is, isn't it? But in the home that our heavenly bridegroom has gone to prepare, there'll be no more heartaches because the former things are passed away. And there'll be joy and rejoicing and happiness for all eternity. These are just some of the things that the Lord is doing for you today. This is his heavenly ministry. May it encourage us and may it give us strength as we face whatever days are left us down here. Thank God that we serve our risen Savior and he cares for us and watches over us each day. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. We're going to sing this morning in closing. 209. Arise, my soul, arise and shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice on my behalf appears. It's a great hymn. Let's really... Sing it from our hearts. Thank you.